Welcome to the No Nonsense Nutrition Podcast with Brett, Ed, Fran, Johnny, Matt and Paul, helping you to build more muscle and to lose weight with a hint of banter and a dash of humour. Enjoy this week's episode. Hello, uh, welcome to the No Nonsense Nutrition Podcast, episode number, I think it's 131. Um, it's only me as a host today, unfortunately I couldn't find another co-host, but we do have an amazingly um, special guest that I've been trying to get on for a long, long time. Um, she's very um, busy, you'll know who it is because you'll see from the, the topic title on the podcast, but she's been very busy, we've had a few scheduling problems because of different time zones, but we made it. So today we had... Um, you're going to have to forgive me, Astrid, for pronouncing your surname, but is, is it um, Naranjo? Naranjo. Naranjo. Oh, so close. So I knew I was going to butcher it. <laughs> I knew I was going to butcher it and never get it right. That's okay. I thought I'd give it a go. <laughs> um, so thank you so much for joining. Um, I've been, I don't know if I've been more excited about a podcast actually for a while. Um, some of the previous episodes that we've been recording, I've dropped a few hints on trying to get someone on to talk about the topic we're going to talk about today. So to finally have you on here and talk about it, I'm, I'm uber excited to get into it. So um, thank you. Uh, I guess just for anyone that doesn't know you, I think a lot of our listeners will probably cross over to some of the podcasts that you've been on. Like obviously you've, you've been on Richie Cohen's Health Scientist, which I think a lot of our listeners will probably uh, listen to his. So they might have heard you before. Um, but for those that haven't, do you want to kind of give them a little bit of a background about you and, and whatever you want them to know? Yeah, absolutely. So... I am an, 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 an accredited practicing dietitian uh, here in Australia. I'm working as a private uh, in a private practice uh, environment, but at the same time, I do work uh, in a private hospital um, for a rehab and mental health clinic. Um, in addition to that, I do my I have my little online business uh, for nutrition coaching. Um, for binge eating or intuitive eating and everything that is related to help people uh, trying to get the, ber- the better versions of, your, of themselves. Um, I pretty much started uh, eight, nine years ago, uh, graduated from uh, my bachelor's degree and I, I am from originally from Venezuela um, and then I moved here six years ago to Australia, and I've been here um, doing quite a few things. But within those things, I started doing my master's degree in nutrition diet and dietetic practice. And that's when I started uh, fitting more into the, uh, the clinical and hospital environment. And I've been trying to deal a little bit with more of my uh, nutrition coaching because that's a, an area that I'm so passionate about that I every every time I have the opportunity to coach someone get them uh, from point A to point B and make them feel amazingly better and transform their life I am all about it and that's uh, my story in a nutshell I could so much mm-hmm. talk to you about lots of me uh, and in my story but that's that's pretty much it. What is what uh, my background is? Yeah, well, I, I think it's hugely. I mean, obviously, your your kind of job in the clinic must be hugely interesting and, and also rewarding. Um, what kind of made you do your own kind of consultancy and stuff on the side? Um, I think the the fact that I I always liked the clinical aspect of dietetics, uh, everything related to clinical nutrition. Um, 
but I always wanted to do private practice. But I, I don't like to. I don't. I don't like much to be sitting in a desk mm. and seeing patient uh, one after the other. I really enjoy much more to actually do more for a client. And I've realized that uh, just seeing uh, clients on an ongoing basis, more than just one-off session, is much more beneficial. And so that's why I, I've been doing more like a coaching rather than just seeing patients, uh, oh, yeah, I give you a meal plan and I see you in one month. And then I, I just don't know anything about them anymore. Yeah. I don't know how they, they did uh, through all that time. And I just don't like that approach. So since I've been doing the online business, I actually feel like I'm much more connected with my clients. Yeah. I pretty much talk to them probably every second day. Uh, and I at least check it in, see yeah. how they're going. And I feel like I'm more like a mom, coaching mom or something, <laughs> yeah, because I, I, I'm, I feel like all, all are, they are all of my babies, and I kind of want to get them to the, the end of the, the, the process and the transformation. So, yeah, so that's why I chose to do a little bit of more private practice online business, um, and I, I, I'm, I love, I'm loving it. I'm growing, uh, learning. Uh, along the way I'm always learning mm-hmm. I I like to be learning every day yeah, so, that's so important. it is something I enjoy yeah. yes I, I, I guess we I mean I don't know what the this I suppose like the state of clinics are or the healthcare kind of side in Australia uh, obviously as opposed to the UK but um, I'm assuming there's the kind of like the same as there is in most places in terms of funding issues and time availability and resource and stuff it obviously makes it difficult for you to do what you do in your private side compared to obviously in the clinic like you say it's a lot harder because you don't see people as often you can't get as close and i suppose that does to quite a large extent affect how well like a treatment can be and obviously i guess how much effect you can have on someone because obviously if you're only seeing them every month and you're, you're not knowing enough personal details you're kind of really not getting a, a really close relationship but obviously it makes that job a lot harder Absolutely, and that's that's pretty much the same here. It, it, it just because of the healthcare system, um, if they have uh, they are linked to their insurance or the medical care, um, it it gets really hard to allow get get certain allowances for dietetics, mm. and they don't get much of the benefits from dietetics. Like they can they might be able to get. Um, two or three sessions with a dietitian uh, and they, they, they get a little bit of a rebate, but they don't get everything back. Uh, yeah, it's a bit tricky. So it is, obviously, it comes down to then making the, 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 the patients or the clients wanting to invest in their, their health, in their, in the, uh, in their own uh, physical health. Uh, but is it is just like, it makes it a little bit harder, but at the same time, you really want to make sure that everyone who's coming to you really wants change and really wants to transform their current situation. Sometimes the, the, the other thing I don't like about being linked to insurances and stuff like that uh, in a clinic, sometimes they just come to you because the doctor told, you, told them to come to you. So they're not really ready to change or they just... They just kind of, oh, yeah, my doctor told me to come. And sure. then it's kind of, it is really hard to get them from the uh, pre-contemplation to actually be 
ready to change yeah. and start doing changes. Yeah. So yeah. yes, we, we. I'll be honest. I I find that even people outside of kind of that context of of almost being pushed to a, a clinician. Obviously, we have people come to us with with intentions of you know all their own goals, and their own intentions to achieve whatever it is, whether it is weight loss or, or whatever. Um, and even then, you can find on that like continuum of motivation to change, they're still right up there in, like you say, pre-contemplation phase, and not um, not really. It's almost like a, your first job in the consultation is to try and see how far they can actually get down, and whether that you know they are at this right stage to start. Because some people you do, I've, I've turned away people because I've realised they're not really in a place where they have the right motivation to change right now, and it's probably, they probably need to look at and work on that before they even start working on anything else. Yes, absolutely. Same here. Uh, it is very much the same. Uh, I get a lot of people that they just not ready, um, or they not ready to. Though maybe they not in this in, in the kind of awareness yet to say I want to make a change. I'm ready to do whatever it takes to transform my life. And sometimes because I do work in a rehab hospital, uh, a lot of my patients tend to be limited with injuries or they had a knee replacement, mm. hip injury, uh, hip replacement, things like that. So it, it is much harder to actually uh, get them to wanting to do changes, especially when it comes to involve a holistic program that includes physical activity. Mm -hmm. Obviously, they need to do their rehab first. So it is more challenging as well. For sure. And it, it comes to, well, what are the priorities? How can you change their mentality? And most of them, especially in a rehab setting, you get a lot of, uh, a lot of patients that are over 60 years old. So they, they're pretty, their habits are pretty much uh, something that they're not going to change that easy. Sure. No, well, I guess obviously this may be a nice segue into kind of like how you then maybe help support both people. I mean, I don't know, Antonio, if you want to talk about in terms of your uh, the clinical side or whether we're more in like your own your own kind of private practice. But how do, how do you support them? Um, and I suppose I'm I'm angling a bit about the main reason. Obviously, I said we want to kind of get you to talk about here around, and I see these things all being quite aligned, but. I've said enough times on this podcast that I'm not an expert in any of these areas, but like the Hayes approach, intuitive eating, anti-diet culture, I feel they all interlink in some way because I guess one of the main things they all share is that they all are pretty much like um, anti-intentional weight loss. So because they feel like it's, um, what's, what's the word I'm looking for? They feel like it's something that's actually actively works against what they're trying to achieve. When you're looking for weight loss, I guess it feels like it's, it's actually... Um, I can't think of the right word. There's a word I'm trying to specifically trying to think of, but I can't think what it is. So I'll, I'll let that go. But they're trying to think that basically it just it doesn't actually achieve what it needs to achieve when you're speci specifically focusing on weight loss, and it goes against some of the the things that we would ask people to look for in more from a, a holistic health perspective. So do you want to one maybe touch on what they are? So I don't know whether you're happy to kind of say like what is haze um, in terms of the health at every size approach and how that maybe interlinks with things like anti diet culture and and intuitive eating. And also, just on intuitive eating, I think a lot of people listening might not understand what intuitive eating is actually as a, as a clinical um, therapy, rather than what people think it is. is that Absolutely. A long <laughs> yeah. Okay. Let's let's break it. Let's break it down. So, um, what I'm going to say is uh, how Hayes or the Health at Every Size uh, was born, pretty much with a. Uh, 
with a background of like some statements, say, let's, let's say uh, overweight people are encouraged to lose weight through dietary changes and physical activity. But um, when once they get into a quote unquote diet, they go for a low short term weight loss, but then they can it's very difficult to maintain it and they will regain it back. Um, so uh, always repeated cycles of weight loss and weight regain um, can obviously, and in, ma in many people, it is actually true that affects this preoccupation with uh, food and body image, um, affects their, uh, their self-esteem in general. So you see people uh, with poor relationship with the body, with poor relationship with food, uh, disorder eating behaviors, health problems uh, overall. Um, so you you kind of see um, this this sort of picture, and that's why this sort of uh, movement of health on every size was born with the intention of pretty much uh, give you principles of being okay with and accepting uh, a way neutrality so you're not biased into what uh, someone is with the, in terms of their weight and you accept them as, uh, as they are. So it is, uh, it comes with five principles. So health, health on every size uh, is uh, pretty much uh, talking about five principles, which includes weight inclusivity, health enhancement, respectful care, Eating for well-being and life-enhancing uh, life movements. So it is a paradigm that pretty much looks at weight-neutral approach, um, respecting body shape, body size, diversity, and it pretty much promotes a holistic approach towards wellness, um, ending everything related to weight discrimination and weight stigma, and try to promote eating and exercise based on individualized hunger, satiety, nutrition needs and pleasure yeah i thought it's, it's probably worth just jumping in just one one thing on that because what i think a lot of people listening that maybe have never kind of looked into the um, principles and even any any literature or anything that involved that is uh, kind of involved in in that approach they might kind of take the term health for every size like literally and don't really understand what health for every size is because it, it kind of suggests that you can be any size and be perfectly healthy which you know to a certain extent might be true for some individuals but we obviously know that different body shapes and sizes come with different risks i suppose so kind of like yeah. I, I suppose i, I want to differentiate the difference in terms of what haze really is compared to what a lot of people think it is um for the listeners because i think that's something that's very common yeah absolutely and you know there has been quite a quite a lot lot of criticism uh towards haze uh, because there are quite a few statements that pretty much comes back to um, the individual individual response, but uh, there is not very much um, there is not very much uh, uh, actual research. It is very emerging and a very emerging and very uh, a small uh, amount of research that's coming. Uh, about haze uh, and some of that is actually really positive and is quite beneficial for the people that actually have an eating disorder uh, and a very difficult relationship with food but it doesn't mean that it applies to everyone and it is it is it's kind of good for 
uh, a, a, a specific community, a specific amount of people that are going through difficulties uh, trying to fix the this this sort of situation with their body, the weight stigma, and mostly most most research, it is actually been done in postmenopausal women and most uh, and perimenopausal women. So a lot of women uh, over 40 years old, 45, 50 years old, and overweight or obese. There is very little amount of evidence that Hays has uh, been actually applied or studied in men. Mm. So it is quite, it's quite, it's, it's a very small amount of research is still coming out, but it doesn't mean that it can be beneficial for a group of people. But the problem is when these, uh, these communities take this into an extreme um, and they actually take the, take their own followers uh, or people that are trying to practice haze and they pretty much tell you or exclude you from the group if you're trying to or wanting to lose intentionally weight Mm. so it's when it becomes a little bit tricky um so for example some of the criticisms you might find is that um you might say well uh ignores higher burden of disease and mortality with obesity because Obviously, you're saying it's okay. You can you stay where you, whatever you are. Your your body is, is perfectly fine, but it doesn't mean that. Like, it's fine if you accept and love your body at any stage. It doesn't matter if you're obese or uh, overweight. It doesn't matter. But it doesn't mean that you cannot want. You might not want to better it sure. or feel like you can. I still want to be a better version of yourself. Yeah. No, so that's okay. where it, it becomes tricky. Yeah. Um, other things, for example, can be, um, and, uh, it could be just the, 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 the way to say, well, it is irresponsible. It's kind of a way of giving up. You know what? I've, I've tried everything. I did all the, the diets. I've tried to lose weight. I just failed, gained the, gained the way back, and I'm just giving up. Yeah. So it, it, it also doesn't mean that um, haze could be a way to uh, encourage all of these different uh, principles I just talked about. But at the same time, you want to be inclusive in terms of wanting to keep working towards a better health, keep working towards a better self-esteem. Um, um, so... It, it, depending on each person, it will be a different approach, but allowing that change and uh, making them feel like they still can do something about it and they can make progress, yeah. regardless whether they are uh, um, not very ready to change or they're ready to change, but they're not ready to kind of go into a dietary restriction or something like that. Sure. I mean, one of the things that I do love about the approach, and this is the same with, as I say, intuitive eating principles and kind of like the the, the anti-diet culture. Um, The the, the first principle of Hayes being like weight inclusivity and being able to kind of almost accept that everyone's different you know there's a diversity of body shapes and sizes and that we shouldn't kind of idealize like this is what you should look like because it's it's it is difficult because the fitness industry does idealize certain body types 
um, or kind of like a range of body types potentially rather than one. But you know, kind of we do idealize in terms of like your bodybuilder on stage or kind of like you know Mr. Olympias or whatever, whatever people might like. So obviously everyone's going to have their own individual quirks on what they idealize as as like the perfect body, say. And I do love the fact that Hayes actively trying. Um, I suppose coach people into rejecting that idea that it's that you know that that's ideal what I suppose I and one of the reasons why I wanted you on to talk about because obviously you're so balanced in your approach in, in like it relating to some things you just said I I there are some people that I know that one that I've I've either had interactions with or even people that I've I've coached that if I took like a weight neutral approach in terms of saying look we're not going to look at intentional weight loss we're just going to look at healthy behaviors and we're going to try and make sure that we're we're kind of implementing a lot of these behavioral change stuff which is obviously brilliant we should do but i get the impression that those people probably wouldn't be helped by that and that like there's there's some people that are so embedded into kind of issues that they have their own issues on either whether it's body types or food relationships or, or even potentially eating disorders um just kind of taking a, a health neutral approach wouldn't be enough. That's not what they need right there. Is that something? Am I out out kind of of line saying that, or is that something you've come across? Or just, I mean, suppose as I say, there's people that I that I've worked with, I've known. Like it's almost like there's no matter how much body confidence and body positivity you try and tell someone, that's they're in a they're in a place mentally that they that isn't what that that will help them right there and then. Thoughts. Yeah, I think it depends on. I think it depends on, on on each person, to be honest. Because some people, um, when when you actually when you actually see come and uh, like people, patients come and see your dietitian, for example, uh, there is now like uh, a form you could have, and you pretty much can talk to them uh, very clear about the different tools and different approach you can uh, use with them. So you can tell them, you know depending on where you are right now and what's your uh, emotional and uh, psychological situation and your relationship with food or your relationship with your body, um, are, you, are you wanting to do an approach that involves dieting, involves intentional weight loss? So you actually try to uh, put it out there and make them choose what they feel like is going to be uh, probably the best approach for them and you kind of gauge as well where they might be at that point. So sometimes you definitely, once you start talking to them and you get a little bit of a diet history, uh, their clinical history, uh, and a little bit of understanding what their background is, you definitely know that your first approach is not definitely talking about dieting anymore or talking about deficits or even if they're obese even if they really want to lose weight, we, I, I kind of try to take them, what is your priority? And let's look at the whole, the, the, the whole amount of issues we have uh, on the table. And we kind of want to choose and pick what are the things we need to do first before we even try to lose weight. So actually take them and go through, you know what? We need to fix your relationship with food first. We need to start maybe just family, family familiarizing with your with your food with the amount of things you eat just increase the awareness of your food choices because sometimes it is just a bit more of like that like that lack of mindfulness and be present be being aware and it includes like this approach it includes everything that is related to a non-diet approach uh be, even before thinking about 
losing weight, but I'm not saying I'm not going to help them lose weight if that's one of their goals. But I pretty much try to uh, get them to embrace and accept body cues, um, uh, teach them that all foods are fine. There is not like good foods or bad foods and like their body shape, whatever they are, they need to start trying to uh, embracing and loving what they have right now to start changing from a position of self-love and self-compassion. And then even just talking about movement and exercise as a way to be joyful and nice and something that is um, pleasant rather than talking about exercise for um, burning calories or um, getting uh, getting to sweat all the pretzels you ate two days ago. Mm. So things like that. Yeah. And so that's the main the main driver of the consult first, regardless of where they are. And then we we might focus on weight loss if that is one of the things they are ready. Some and some people don't don't make, don't get me wrong, some people are definitely ready to do a change, they're definitely ready to uh, lose weight, and they probably find at that point with a relationship with food. And they ready to go. So it depends what this what stage they are in terms of the the mental health, their mindset, mm -hmm. the the whole the whole the holistic self from their point of view. Yeah. So it, would it be fair to say that it is very very individualized and not as clear cut as basically diet culture is bad and doesn't necessarily work for anybody. And it's kind of more a case that there'll be some people. I think that we use the word community, but there'll be some people in like a community or or a, you know some some individuals might just have certain characteristics where they maybe have potential uh, food relationship issues and body body positivity issues that type of stuff where they're they're not ready to and a diet culture is the worst thing that they could potentially look at in terms of like trying to seek um uh, sorry intentional weight loss whereas there might be other people that actually are in in a perfectly fine place and like anything this stuff is is usually more more nuanced than than kind of like diet culture is bad anti-diet culture is good or or haze is great and you know kind of a lot of the typical fitness industry approaches are bad kind of thing yeah absolutely like if you think about uh some some uh, people like bodybuilders uh people that are athletes they probably are not focusing on like how how good is the the mental health or the relationship with food probably everything uh, is pretty much stable mm -hmm. um, it, I, I'm not saying it is per per perfect or they might not experience some issues with the self-esteem but it doesn't mean like they are necessarily in a bad place to actually go straight to a diet phase they can do really well and still being able to feel good about themselves feel good with their, their relationship with food so as I said before uh, it probably is more applicable, this sort of non-diet approach um, and haze, to this sort of uh, population that has struggled with weight for a long time, um, especially these, these people with uh, obesity or perimenopausal women, which uh, I found most of the research is being based on this population, and not so much in, jo uh, in young young women or um, men or uh, like athletes it is it is very limited re very limited the evidence around 
these populations, mm. but it doesn't mean like it might be applicable to uh, to some extent to if you feel like a particular person needs that approach. Sure. Did, um, yeah. I, w- I was just going to touch on, um, I guess, the point you just made. Um, no, actually, I, I've lost my train of thought slightly and I'm going to probably pose the question poorly, so I'm not going to do that. <laughs> um, okay, so no, it's just, there was a point you made and now I'm trying to think exactly kind of how you said it and I, I, I don't want to do an injustice, so <laughs> I'm not going to going to say it um I, I guess like one of the things that i probably want to bring up as well is so a lot of the the kind of anti-diet culture um believe like essentially restriction is almost i think i even read this from some a post from someone i can't remember who it was now but they had quite a large following very much aligned with anti-diet culture and they said something along the lines of restriction is the almost the cause of obesity or and, and, and diet culture is the, almost the cause of obesity nowadays. I don't know what your thoughts are on that. Um, and I suppose that the reason I ask that is because obviously I personally believe it's way more nuanced than that. And it's, there isn't, I mean, restriction can obviously be a problem for a lot of people. And I think having a restrictive approach in terms of like, even look at the literature of restrictive dieting versus flexible dieting we know flexible dieting is is far more successful in terms of outcomes than than kind of like a really super restrictive diet. So yeah. Um I do agree with that point, but to say it's like the cause is it feels like to me that's quite reductionist, but I don't know. I, I want to bring it up in terms of kind of your what are your thoughts? I think it uh, it is a, a quite bold statement and very biased. Uh but really when it comes to say well restriction uh to actually say that is the, the the cause of obesity, uh, I wouldn't say that it goes to that extreme. Uh, I definitely feel like uh, restriction in a chronic way that leads to binge eating, uh, eating disorders, might be definitely a culprit of some of the the population that uh, has deal uh, has dealt with uh, weight gain, weight weight regain, weight loss, weight regain, and these weight cycles, and obviously this um, sh- uh, fat overshooting after a very restrictive uh, approach and they gain all the way back and sometimes even more, that's always something that you're going to find uh, in, in people with large bodies. And obviously that's where probably this sort of uh, statement is coming from. So because you've been restricting so much, you've been always on a diet and this diet mentality, that's why you're never going to be successful and that's why you're obese. Mm. So it's kind of blaming, uh, putting the blame or some on, on the restriction itself. But it is more like a, trying to kind of understand, obviously, the main cause on the main driver of, of obesity, and we know that is the excess of calories that we eat, mm-hmm. and that everything, the, the actual environment has led to uh, adapt and change our habits towards more uh, more calories, uh, more convenience, uh, things that are readily available for us, so we're not moving as much. There's more stress. Um, we we're getting busier. Uh, life is more stressful, so uh, we we be, we're becoming more uh, emotional eaters, comfort eaters. There's a lot of different factors that are definitely the driver of obesity, but you couldn't say this one main factor. And I wouldn't say that is definitely not deprivation or like restriction itself. It can be one of them. I would say it might be one of these factors for certain people. 
but not for everyone. Yeah, I mean, I've just I've just found the post actually, and it essentially said, or, or it does say, because I can read it. There's so much talk these days about the food environment supposedly making people overeat and or eat the wrong foods in air quotes. But in fact, deprivation is the root of why people eat more or differently in the presence of food cues. Now, yeah, I your your views did align completely, I think, with with mine. Um, I still think that food environment plays much more of a part than necessarily absolutely deprivation or, or restriction because I suppose it kind of goes against like if you think about before, before the industrial industrialized age there was deprivation because people didn't have enough food to, to feed themselves absolutely um, which I guess you could say well you know, they couldn't overeat because there wasn't enough food available but still kind of feels like it's that is i'm glad you said it actually rather than me because i didn't want to come come across as bigoted against anti-diet but it does feel quite biased to suggest that and like reading some of the comments is very much um and I, I, maybe this is a problem with communities in general you kind of get this echo chamber of the same people the same thought processes kind of backing each other up and all the comments were very much saying you know aligning with this this statement and i i i, yeah. I, I wasn't going to comment because i've kind of tried to express my views on some of these types of things before and oh um, it, they'll eat you yeah it's essentially what has happened before when when i have done it and it's just kind of like you know what i've learned from the past deal like it's not because you're not going to change people's minds you're not really going to probably even get it's not worth it no yeah. i mean i i've been honest, no. i'm not even interested in changing people's minds but i am interested in kind of getting some um useful communication out of it and, yes. and some different thoughts but you, you don't really even get that often and it, and it works both ways i mean i used to turn communities because i'm not specifically talking necessarily about anti-diet in in that bit because it works on keto with like the keto fans and vegans oh and, yeah and everything obviously but absolutely yes yeah um yeah i thought that was interesting really because I, I, it kind of when when it comes up because I, I guess speaking about the haze approaches and intuitive eating and, and that sort of stuff like i do believe like having a less restrictive approach and trying to work more on relationships is hugely important kind of like before we obviously started recording i talked about some of our principles in that yes we do i don't want to use the term believe but i can't think of a better phrase but we do we do believe that intentional weight loss is the right approach for some people but we do also try and do it in a manner where we don't kind of restrict ourselves in a box by labeling ourselves something like anti-diet or intentional weight loss or whatever we try and take the best bits of of, of what we see and i do see Everything. loads of good bits yeah i see loads of good bits in in these approaches which is where i really want to kind of bring some of them out now so um in terms of those things i've said then so haze intuitive eating and um i guess like well well those two probably more specifically is there any differences between them um or you know did, what what how do they kind of fit in in terms of how people can kind of use their principles to their advantage so the when we talk about haze we talk about a big movement and within the their five principles there is one in a specific that talks about um non-diet approach so mm -hmm. non-diet approach uh relates quite a lot with uh, mindful eating and non-intuitive uh, eating. So it's kind of below or within the same movements, but uh, it is coming from the, the nutritional approach aspect. So uh, when it comes to, um, to talk about uh, this specific area or this specific principle, um, they talk about all foods are welcome. Uh, this is one of these uh, haste principles, and it promotes flexible, individualized eating based on hunger, satiety, nutritional needs, and pleasure, rather than 
going into a externally regulated eating plan focused on weight control or uh, weight or, or weight management. And all foods fit. So it is pretty much like a flexible dieting. I think it's, it's pretty much talking about uh, everything you eat is okay. It is there's no moral uh, label to any food, but you know that there are foods that are not as nutritious and they won't fit into a very healthy lifestyle if you eat them a lot and very frequent. Um, so it is finding that balance that everything should be morally neutral, but you know that there you want to base your diet uh, at least 80 to 90 percent of whole foods, uh, a lot of veggies, a lot of lean meats, a lot of good protein, uh, dairy, all of these things uh, based on your uh, the majority of your food choices, and you're still allowing these 10 to 20 percent of your choices to be these uh, um, treats or these foods that give you joy and they're part of your um, social events, they're part of your uh, your childhood or even things you enjoy like a piece, a piece of chocolate, a little bit of a cake uh, when, you, when it comes to uh, your birthday or your granny's birthday, something like that. So you want to really have a disbalance. So that doesn't, even if you, that's within the haze movement and non-diet approach, that is part of the flexible dying too. So um, that's there. And then when it when underneath that, the, it comes the non-diet nutrition, which is still the same um, sort of uh, little details about it uh, in terms of mindfulness, satiety, uh, connecting with hunger cues and satiety cues, um, feeling and regulating your your intake with no moral morality mm -hmm. uh, towards any foods and trying to promote a food variety and dietary quality independently um, of any sort of uh, preferences. And then it talks about non-diet nutrition or non-diet approach talks about behaviors um, that surround um, your, your food choices. So let's say they focus on uh, increase food and fruit and vegetable intake, increase uh, physical activity as part of um, a nice and healthy lifestyle. And it tries to avoid talk, talking very straightforward into promoting uh, weight loss, intentional weight loss. Mm. So within those things uh, and other concepts that are used within the non-diet approach are the intuitive eating and mindful eating. So intuitive eating is pretty much uh, a way to uh, get in tune with your internal cues of hunger and fullness. And you kind of want to listen to your body, to uh, respect your body, honor your hunger, recognize your fullness, and be mindful around your eats, uh, your eating, your eating behaviors. Being a, be mindful about your food choices. Um, kind of try to pay attention to everything you're doing around food, and tries to make us as a memorable experience. And at the same time, um, it kind of teaches you to ask yourself questions. Uh, before you actually emotionally eat. 
mm. it, uh, pretty much it tells you to, um, you, you kind of ask these questions, am I really hungry? Do I really want it? Uh, will this actually going to satisfy what I'm craving for? Uh, is this going to taste good to actually, is it worth it for me to actually have it? Yeah. Um, that, 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 a lot of those questions are things that I've used with people for a number of years probably before I even knew it was anything to do with intuitive eating. It almost like, forgive the pun, like came intuitively to me a little bit to kind of like think about, I suppose in my own journey, before I became a practitioner, I, I started to kind of do a lot of those things just for what, I don't even know how about really, but just came about doing all those things, like asking myself questions I've used with clients, I've said actually, like say those questions out loud, like do I actually want this? You might look weird or silly or feel silly by saying out loud, but like on holidays, do it like when you're at a buffet, like say out loud, do I actually want this? Often that can be the difference of being mindful and not mindful. And it's, it's weird here. Really. I, I, I kind of did a lot of that stuff before I even knew what intuitive eating was or have any idea. Really. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it is, it is it, it, I think it's just a, a way to put together some kind of framework um, to help people that uh, struggle, the struggle with emotional eating. And it is very helpful to use these tools, uh, for example, with beach eating um, and mindless, mindless eating. It is quite useful because you really focus on uh, bring awareness and slow down and increase the, the pleasure around food. If you're actually eating for pleasure, maybe you should slow down to actually make the most out of that moment, right? So when they when when you actually start eating mindfully and you start slowing down and you chew it really well, you um, feel the texture, the flavor, the you you experience the, the smells, the all the sensations that this food is going to produce to uh, within your mouth in in your brain, all the experience. Sometimes being that present and aware actually makes you uh, not wanting to eat mindlessly the whole lot or the whole box because the more you the the more you connect with your uh, hunger and and fullness cues and with the pleasure you're going through that moment sometimes you start feeling like the satisfaction and the pleasure uh, goes away after a few bites you uh, if you look at the chart um and you look like an exponential um, line. You start like the first three bytes are we, we're gonna are gonna be the ones that are going to be at the maximum experience of pleasure. And then the more you eat and chew it and another bite, the the same pleasure or the same line starts uh, plumbing down. So I don't know if you've experienced that before. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely, definitely. I, I have. I, it's, I say it's, it's weird how a lot of those things are almost come natural if you pay attention to them. And I think that's obviously half the problem is nowadays people are, like you said, so busy and got other stresses and other priorities where they don't pay attention to a lot of that stuff that it just goes out the window. And I do feel that that's a lot of today's issues in terms of why the food environment now becomes such an influence on us because we can't almost let it because we don't pay attention to a lot of the stuff that we need to in and around these types of like eating behaviors and lifestyle factors. Um, it's, it's really, really hard, isn't it? Cause I guess people, 
and you, you I don't know if you see this in a lot of people you work with people will come to you and then use the excuse of like I haven't got time because they're so prioritized on other stuff when really when I guess they, they kind of realize that obviously if they want to achieve some of the goals they think they need to start looking at to how can they make time and how can they shift some of the stress that they and focus they have on on other parts of their life like work and family and other things and, and try to free up some space in their in their mental capacity almost to to kind of focus on some of the things you just talked about absolutely yeah um i so just get on the intuitive eating thing then i guess some people would say that they can't eat intuitively because that's how that's what's got them in this place in you know this place of obesity potentially in the first place kind of what what are your thoughts on that well it is um i've been getting a, a, a lot of sort of people kind of calling me out because i'm kind of using the term of intuitive eating which is being sort of trademarked as a as an approach that doesn't involve any tracking or anything like that it, it doesn't talk about or it doesn't want to relate to intentional weight loss um but the on the other hand i still think that you cannot be intuitive just following um what your body tells you if you're not if you don't have any idea of what what your food is um uh, made of if you don't know what calories are in certain things, how do you know that your body needs protein or how much uh, things, uh, how, how much of something you need if you don't really know what's in your food for, in the first place? So it, it, is a, it is a very controversial topic that I, ca- I come across a lot uh, with people that come against these thoughts and they, not, they don't agree with me um, but I would say that I'm still in this sort of um, line of thoughts that intuitive eating, or let's call it differently, let's call it informed eating or uh, eating intuitively, or on the other way. Yeah. So I, I, we I like, don't use a trademark. No, I like the informed eating bit. Um, I actually think, um, and I don't know whether he got this from, but I had a conversation with someone else that uh, was. Uh, I went through the the Mac Nutrition course. Obviously, I went through um, a guy called Big Nick. Um, I think his Instagram handle is like Coach Big Nick. But we were talking about a similar thing in what you just said, and he actually mm-hmm. came up with the or he used the term informed eating. I said I like that. I like that term because it yeah. actually quite describes quite well what what we're trying to almost like achieve. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the I think it was Shannon Beer. Uh, she actually so, did a, a yeah, little bit that, of a. That makes sense because um, Nick, Nick works with Shannon, I think. Yeah, uh, I think they they're, they're under a company Flexus Success. Yes. I think that yeah, and they she she was uh, Shannon was one of the the girls I talked to about uh, why I was coming across this uh, sort of controversy, and she said. Well, I, I understand where you're coming from, but because it's, it's just a, such a topic that is very controversial, let's ch- let's change it a little bit and let's use informed eating because you're coming from a tracking um, history, you you know what your macros is, and you're transitioning slowly to something that it doesn't rely much on tracking, but you know roughly because you've learned the skills and you're mastering um, the skills of knowing what to eat, that you pretty much are familiar with the amount of calories that things have, the amount of macros, 
but you're going uh, without need, the needing to track because you already learned mm. and now you're informed. Sure. And now that, that you're kind of taking that, those decisions based on your, your experience learning. Yeah, I want to feel like I've, I've had a part to play in that. Because I think the conversation we had kind of came came about that term, so I'm going to take credit for some of that. No, I joke. Absolutely. <laughs> um, no, I do. I do. I mean, I, I I do agree. Obviously, in terms of the the original question around intuitive eating being difficult for a lot of people. Um, again, it's like anything in life, but specific, specifically nutrition, it's so nuanced. It's difficult to say like this or that is like the, the one reason, like in terms of like the, the environment being the reason we can't eat intuitively and that type of stuff. I don't mean it's quite that, that simple, but um, I do think obviously a lot of people will struggle for various reasons to ever eat intuitively. Um, and they probably have to try and take an informed approach. And I guess the message that I would like people to listen in to almost take away is that like, it, it, a lot of people on social media, actually, maybe I'll ask your opinion on this. What do you feel about the, the kind of people on social media that almost portray intuitive eating as the holy grail of something what is so simple to implement? And once we all kind of get there, life is kind of like fine and dandy and you can go away and live a lovely, healthy lifestyle, lo- loving your body and having this kind of um, great mentality about uh, about your body and, and your weight. What What do you think about kind of like the people that kind of make it look so easy? Um, I think because they they come in from a point where they're trying to sell this sort of um, sort of solution for people that are desperately trying to look for um, uh, a, escape from diets, and obviously then there must be something out there that is going to give us the answer to everything because that's a human uh, natural uh, state of looking for what's the best approach, what's the response, or what's the best way that I can do things. Uh, so in trying to look for something that people can belong to uh, and find some answers, they kind of see, feel like if everything before that you did before that was uh, regarding to intentional weight loss and tracking uh, obviously didn't work because you lost weight and you regain it back and uh, is it's been stated in research that uh, people that lose weight, uh, only 5% are able to maintain it and 95% fail and they will regain it back. So then why to bother? Why bothering about that? So you just, just go and um, you actually go, you, you better off just intuitive eat, just listen to your body, uh, listen to what it tells you to do and you're going to be fine. You lose weight, uh, you probably... Forget about losing weight. You're probably not not made for it. You're probably good to stay where you are. Uh, doesn't matter. You you need to love your body, you know, uh, and honor your hunger, and just just be happy where you are. If you forget about weight loss, don't worry about that. You you're a failure losing weight. So just eat intuitively, and yeah, be happy. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's it. Yeah. I think it's kind of a, the way that indirectly, indirectly they're saying, don't don't even try to lose weight because it's not gonna it's not gonna work. No. You and just I, I think made that, yeah. I was just gonna say I think that's a difficult message for people to hear though because obviously a lot of people are thinking that they want to lose weight and rightly or wrongly you know you might blame diet culture for people even feeling that way which I understand and do get the get that point. Um. But regardless, I think it kind of comes back to what I said earlier on the podcast that there are some people I think that 
you can tell them to all the things you've just said in terms of forget about trying to lose weight and just be happy with your body because otherwise, you know, you're going to fail. But I think you can tell people that over and over again and it doesn't help them become more positive or happier in their life because that's no. not really what they mm-hmm. want. I think there are people out there that would, would you know, so I, I liken it akin to a bit like telling someone with depression to cheer up, you know, it's kind of like that's far more complex than that and you someone's not just going to suddenly be happy because you've told them to cheer up and i think some of the intuitive eating messages and stuff can come across a bit like that way to people that have obviously suffered with issues for large periods of their life and kind of saying like love your body and just don't worry about dieting because you're going to fail probably isn't the message that they they want or even need to hear absolutely yeah and the main thing is that you want to let people know that they can they can choose middle ground where they can still use some of the principles of intuitive eating. Like, I don't want to diet all my life. That's something that is part of the principles, reject diet mentality. mentality. But um, you want, you, as an, in another hand, you want to promote, like even as a professional, uh, I want to support uh, sustainable weight loss that can be sustained, that can be healthy, uh, that is not about going on a diet that is going to be restrictive, but at the same time, it is better of uh, teaching your skills to go through life and being able to still lose weight, but being able as well to enjoy life, uh, being able to um, still do everything you do on a daily basis mm-hmm. without feeling like you're always uh, going to need to be on a diet yeah. and sometimes the problem is the extremes because I, I feel like also like if you think about diet culture um, people sometimes are very structuring the the mindset of dieting and they need to diet and they want to lose weight and sometimes people want to lose weight and they don't need to lose weight anymore mm. so it, it is very tricky when when we see when we see these two extremes they're there is the opposite extreme that people are completely obese and they need to lose weight, but our, this community is coming out saying, no, you, you, you're a failure. You're probably not, not, fit, not a good fit to lose weight because you have failed before, so why bother? And on the other hand, we have this other extreme that is saying, I need to diet all my life to be when I need to be. And uh, it's uh, that obsession with the body, that perfectionism, um, this sort of orth- orthorexic um, uh, and compulsive uh, uh, love for uh, body shape. And sometimes that extreme takes away a lot of um, the, the actual enjoyment of life. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it is just two extremes. I, I would say I wouldn't support either or. I always kind of try to be in the middle, uh, especially in this um approach because you want to be able to support people that want to feel better with themselves, uh, better their body shape, uh, if that's going to make them feel more confident, more, more um, have better self-esteem. But at the same time, you don't want to promote something that is going to be that extreme, that it's going to create obsessive uh, and compulsive love for um, a body that is not sustainable over time, yeah. like a shredded, like a bodybuilder so of thing i understand that is that's a a, a sport uh, for a, a way of saying it mm-hmm. um but even the amount of people in the bodybuilding community they struggle with with uh 
the body image, they, they have struggles. And sometimes even those, uh, those uh, people that are in that community, they, they feel like they need some, um, some, some people that can listen to their struggles as well. Yeah. So I yeah. think this is just two extremes, yeah. Yeah, I think the, the sport of bodybuilding itself will probably, a lot of people blame bodybuilding for like a rise in eating disorders or actually it's probably the other way around and that I think a lot of people that might have tendencies for disordered eating kind of gravitate towards the sport. Um, and also it's probably, one, yeah. I was just going to say, it's probably one of the reasons why a lot of, lot of people are so successful at it because obviously implementing those restricted behaviours that, you know, if you were in mm. a clinic, they would start to look at your eating beha- behaviours and say, these probably aren't particularly healthy. We probably need to look at some treatments for these. They're the actual things that make them so successful in dieting to low levels of body fat for support. Yeah, absolutely. And I and I and I've left and I've lived that before. Um, and I've I've I had clients with that sort of mentality. And there are stories that reflect this sort of. It is a, a, an easier way to kind of. Um, readdress their eating disorder in a way that it, it doesn't go fall into a really bad disorder eating but they still can sort of uh, hide the the eating behavior in a way yeah sure i was going to ask like, you do, do, sorry do, do you want you got more to say on that bit oh no 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 oh good i was just going to say i was going to ask around like and i think you probably covered it really but i was going to say do you kind of believe like intentional weight loss and self-love can kind of coexist in the same person? Absolutely. And I think that's, uh, even I, I have posted, uh, I've done some posts about that in my social media. I do really talk about, it doesn't matter if you love your body and I actually want you to love your body and accept every part of your body as, as, it is right now, but it doesn't mean that you might not want to better be better. You can still love yourself and you can still feel good in your skin, but it doesn't mean that wanting to feel a little bit prettier or a little bit better or just going for a, a just maybe feeling a little bit healthier. Uh, you can do that from a self and self-love and self-compassion mm-hmm. point of view and perspective. I definitely agree. And I don't know, I get a lot of people, again, against me talking. It, is, it, it cannot coexist. If you, lo- if you want to lose weight, uh, that's, that's coming from a diet mentality and that you hate your body and you want to, um, that is a weight stigma. Why you don't accept people with uh, their weight? Why do you, you might not uh, want to being way inclusive and I'm not I'm not a person who judge people um, I actually love helping and encouraging self-love whatever they are right now if they are obese if they are have a BMI of 45 I definitely understand their struggles I I talk to them um, as a as a, as a person, as a human being, I try to understand their emotions, their struggles. And I tell them and I try to encourage them to whatever they want to do with the, the body, they can do it, they can achieve it, but they need to start loving themselves from the very first day they want to change. 
Yeah. Because and I have a I have some clients right now, they struggle with their body weight. And one of the questions I asked them the first day is well, how is your relationship with your body? And a lot of a lot of women tell me, I just hate my body. And one of the things I tell them first, before we want to lose any weight, I want you to start accepting and getting a little bit more of self-love, self-compassion, be kind to yourself. Because otherwise, anything that we're going to do is going to come from a hate um, and a, an unpleasant point of view and approach that is not going to be enjoyable. You're going to feel like you're punishing yourself. You want to uh, get rid of whatever part of your body uh, you don't like. And I don't want you to go from that place. I want you to come from um, a point of, you know what, I love myself. I understand everything that my body does for me and I'm grateful for it. Um, and I try to let them know, like just increase awareness of yeah. how many people would right now would love to even be fat and have your legs or your arms or being healthy as you are. And they are not even that close because they have no legs mm. or they have just going through so much difficulties and you, you, you probably have a little bit of extra weight, but you're healthy. You have two legs, two arms. You can still go around. You mm. still do lots of things. So be grateful for that. And I tell them, like, I tell my clients to do a seven day challenge of writing down every single day, just one thing that they are grateful for in regards to what their body does for them. Yeah. And it is amazing how, um, the, the mentality and the mindset change quite a lot when they start looking at some of the things that they not really bring into their presence mm -hmm. or they're not aware of them. So yeah. I think that's amazingly powerful. Yeah, I've started doing some with clients, less, less from specifically body positivity or self-love, but that can include that, but more just getting clients to, to kind of come back to me on on check-ins every week to say right I want you to every day write down something that you're like proud of today and obviously so it can be like you know something to do with body positivity or self-love but it can sometimes just be the silliest things like I drank enough water today or anything but I just think like that almost self-reflection and it is all kind of self-love I suppose because obviously if you're looking for something that you're particularly proud of you kind of almost have to love something about that day and that's kind of the idea get people to think about something that is positive and they've achieved or proud of or something they've done that day and i think that aligns brilliantly and i think more people should be doing that type of stuff absolutely every single thing that you can uh look as a win uh, and like little small wins every week is i, I think it's just uh, such a powerful way to uh, empower the your client and at the same time uh, let them know that they're they are not just looking for one outcome, which is obviously weight loss. But there are some other things that they are getting out of the the, the, your, the sessions with you, um, and like all the program itself is not just about one outcome, but just bettering everything around your lifestyle and your the way you approach your relationship with your body, the, the way you approach your relationship with food, and uh, like your mindset, just changing and transforming your mindset, the way you think about your your food choices and the way you think about your 
your behaviors. That's uh, so such a powerful thing. That that's why one of the other things that I like about the online coaching is that you definitely can do uh, so much, and you can monitor and and just do follow up all this progress uh, as you go. And that's just amazing. That's why I enjoy that so much. So I realized my my microphone was mute. <laughs> um, no, I was gonna say that's oh. brilliant. Um, yeah, I think we've covered everything I want to cover today. Is there anything else that you want to cover that we haven't? No, I think we did quite a, um, quite a comprehensive chat about Hayes, um, the intuitive eating, the non-diet approach. Um, I think if you have any uh, any specific questions or further things you would like me to kind of get into it, um, I'm happy to do that. Um, or, yeah, otherwise, um, I think uh, we did a really good job covering most of the things we wanted to talk about. At the end of the day, the main and the take-home message is um, that haze is a, a, an approach. Another tool that I would say it is useful for certain uh, certain population uh, through a way neutral approach people that has low self-esteem eating disorders preoccupation with food um, or those uh, that struggle to uh, maintain their weight loss uh, over time and it, it is basically a way to uh, increase it is uh, uh, up until this point, it, it needs more research, it needs more support, but it's been found that it's useful in this amount of, uh, in this population that I just mentioned before. Um, it can be a really good uh, approach or sustainable methods for people who are overweight or obese, uh, they, that they want to improve their health regardless whether they actually lose weight or not, because there is still some benefits just from the the fact that they changing behaviors um, and some of the things are in, in their lifestyle in general, if they are already making better choices, uh, even just about food quality, they're not longer eating fast food every day or they're just doing more uh, movements uh, because they're enjoying it. That's beneficial for the mental health uh, from the for their body in general. So you see a lot of benefits from it, especially in this uh, population that I spoke about. Um, there, there needs to be more research, uh, especially in females uh, athletes, uh, in male, in males, mm -hmm. um, and that's that's pretty much it. That uh, just kind of a, a in a nutshell what haze non-diet approach and this sort of anti-diet movement uh, is, is all about. Uh, but I would say, on the other hand, that you can still fall into the middle ground where you can choose and use some of these tools that are within these method, methods and apply it into your, um, your own style, uh, being inclusive, uh, being neutral with the weight uh, without being stigmatizing the weight, but at the same time, being able to promote and help them if they, your, your clients need to lose weight mm -hmm. uh, or they need to lose weight for some health reasons, you can support them along the way uh, with uh, a variety of tools that are going to help them uh, thrive. Yeah, no, that's amazing. I definitely want to echo that in terms of 
I, the the problem that I've had with a lot of these types of approaches is that even by having an approach in air quotes and labeling yourself or putting yourself in a box you're you're just limiting the tools and that you have at your disposal to reach whatever the the goal is and at the end of the day I think most practitioners are still all trying to achieve the same goal whether it is weight loss or mm. not I think people are also just you know even by by default or by association they're still trying to improve better well-being for people they want to make people's lives better they don't necessarily want to get people to just lose weight and I think even the kind of the air quotes weight loss practitioners, the reason they're doing it is because they want people to feel good. It's not because they, you know, necessarily Absolutely. want people. I mean, don't get me wrong. We all know shredded ab shots sell products, sell packages, and unfortunately to a certain extent. But that isn't why necessarily I think most people get into the industry. Most people get in the industry because they do want to help people. Um, all right, I know so that's not necessarily the case for everyone, but I think most most good people do. So, Yeah. I think I think probably um, one reason why some some people get into these extremes is also because uh, they see kind of that niche that niche that they need that extreme and it's kind of a, a way to be more specialized in something that can sell more. Yeah, and obviously that's that's one of the reasons I would say. Yeah, yeah. I be. guess you could say about the anti diet culture that it's probably obviously the the weight loss industry has been huge for decades whereas anti-diet i suppose is, is an upcoming thing you might see people jumping almost on the bandwagon of seeing something new coming up in and not necessarily even understanding or knowing all of all of the anti-diet culture kind of beliefs but just seeing it as a, a way of like you say selling products i suppose or services absolutely mm. yeah you, you've actually you've been yeah. amazingly generous with your time um so i just want to thank you for for this and obviously i'm, I'm sure the people listening are going to take a huge amount of value out of this um i've it's not let me down I, in terms of how excited i was i've been blown away by what you've had to say um and i love being able to hear kind of all this additional stuff to add tools to the repertoire almost from from my personal perspective but also for the people listening to realize that there's kind of more than one way to skin a cat as they say so um do you, before we kind of get to the bit where obviously you can shout out your um, your staff and anything kind of like if you've got to, to kind of plug or anything, usually we do ask when we have guests a few random questions that aren't really necessarily nutrition related. If you're happy for a few minutes just to kind of um, humour us. All right. <laughs> Don't worry, All then, right. Let's, then, see, not... let's see if I can do it well. Hope you... you, I hope not disappointing you. No, they're, they're not too taxing. Um, they're just fun. Okay. They're, they're a bit of fun really at the end. So. Um, what is your favorite burger restaurant? My what? Favorite burger restaurant. So, so hamburgers. Oh, burgers. burger restaurant. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, I don't know. To be honest, I have I have like more than eight years of having eaten a burger in a restaurant. If I do, I, I have it at home. Okay. But I definitely love McDonald's. <laughs> I do love McDonald's. I think that's the worst answer yeah. I've had so far. <laughs> I do love. I, I like my Big Macs. I, like I, I remember when I was a kid or yeah. when I had it my the last time, and it tastes so good. Yeah, iconic, I suppose. I'm sorry, but no, I it's all right. it tastes right. good. <laughs> I, I, I've got a friend going to Australia soon, and I think he's going to Brisbane. I don't know whereabouts in Australia you are actually. I'm on the Gold Coast. Oh, okay. Very, okay. very close to Brisbane. Yeah, he, he's look, probably looking. He's mm. a he's a big burger, burger connoisseur. So if you had any recommendations, I'm sure he'd be interested. But. <laughs> oh, <laughs> um, I'm not very basic. Uh, I just know 
that uh, Mac OS exists, and I haven't been I haven't visited for a long time. Yeah. But I remember the taste of it, and I it was it, it was really cool. Yeah, it is iconic, and obviously, I guess a lot of people have the the kind of like the nostalgia feeling with with McDonald's. So now I'll take that. Um, so if you had to sing karaoke, which you might love, but what would be your karaoke song? Ooh, that's a good question. Mm. I do love karaoke, and actually, uh, I. I I can't pride myself that I sing well. Um, uh, I that's that's a hard question. I do love a lot of songs. Um, I do like a lot. Um, I don't know if you've heard Luis Fonsi. Uh, so mm-hmm. Yeah, I think he's Puerto Rican. Uh, Puerto Rican. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he did Mamba Number Five. Right? Uh, no, no, it's the wrong dude. That's a different one. <laughs> no, uh, it, he sings like Despacito. Yep. Yeah. I was going to say that. Yeah. With well, Justin Bieber and... Uh, is it yeah, Yankee? yeah, yeah, Yankee. yeah. Yeah, Daddy Yankee, yeah. Yeah, but no. The, well, he has a few songs that I really like. Um, Maria Carey. That's a few songs as well that I've done in karaoke that I do sing quite well. Okay. No, that's all right. That's fine. Yeah. Good answers. Um, if, you, <laughs> if you were to build a house out of food, what would that food be? Mmm... That's interesting. Um, but to live inside the house or just to sell it? Well, you, you, you get to decide. So this is usually, this is a question that kind of gives people insight to your thought process. Mm. So, um, so, so some people have picked food specifically because of the structure of said foods. Some people have picked it because it's foods they like. Some people have picked it for other reasons. So, you know, as I say, it gives you a bit of insight as to kind of why you might think something... Hmm. Well, if if you're gonna live inside a house or made out of food, it has to smell really, really good. And so I would probably go for something that smells like pasta or <laughs> or pizza. Okay. <laughs> something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I think pasta is generally a difficult one to to build a house out of, though, because obviously yeah. structurally, unless it's uncooked. Um, it's probably not going to last mm. very long, and if it's uncooked, it probably then doesn't smell very nice. So, you know, the faux pas of trying to pick a food you'd build a house out of. Yeah, I, you you took me out of base. I'm not really sure what could I. Well, if I think about something nice, could be. Uh, be um, I don't. I, I think. You you, you, yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, I'll take that. That's good. I was going to say you can't Dennis beat gingerbread, surely, good. or you can't beat like. I know, as it's Christmas time, like Lebkuchen, like ger- German treats. You can't beat that. Mm. Mm. And yeah. it smell amazing. Well, something sweet. Yeah, something sweet would, would smell good. And it is like uh, a good a, a good way to start your day with a nice smell. Absolutely. Yeah, it could be. <laughs> um, <laughs> if you had an unlimited supply of one thing, what would it be? A plan? A plant? Okay. What was the question? Oh, if you had unlimited supply of anything, one thing. So you could basically pick one thing. So it could be food. It can be something else you enjoy. It can be something practical. But if you could pick a, to have an unlimited supply of one thing, what would it be? Mm. Water's probably That's a good start because that way at least you won't die. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I'd, let's make it more, more interesting than water. Mm, that's a hard one. I think mine would just be burgers uh, because obviously that's why the original question starts around what's your favourite burger restaurant. But 
No, no, I wouldn't, wouldn't choose burgers, but I would choose some, either a vegetable or probably something with protein. Okay, you're too, you're yeah. too good of a dietitian. <laughs> yeah, it, it has to have some protein, so it could be like a, uh, a protein shake, maybe. Okay. Or um, chicken breast. I'm sure. I don't know. Or I'm, I'm sure. Give a more really time. good piece of steak. Okay, I'm sure. A really good time, piece of you steak. Come up with something more interested, I'm sure. <laughs> but, yeah. Okay, this is the last one, and this is the this okay. is the ultimate question. So pay attention. Um, would you rather be attacked? By a horse-sized duck or a hundred duck-sized horses? Ooh, I don't know. <laughs> what what's the difference? So a hundred. So a, ducks? a a horse-sized duck. So a duck the size of a horse. So a massive duck. Ooh. Or obviously a hundred little horses. Sorry, a hundred little. Yeah, sorry, a hundred little horses the size of ducks. Oh, the, the 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 other one, the second the what? second option is is a little bit cuter. Yeah, but they're attacking you, so they're not particularly cute. <laughs> um, Imagine so, so what should I do? I don't know. I probably that. will run <laughs> anyway. Well, this is it. So you've got you obviously you know that's your choice. You got to decide. You, you know you've got a hundred little savage horses, but obviously tiny ones. You know the size of ducks, or you can just have one mm. giant duck the size of a horse. I think I would stay with the duck. Okay. The just the one. That's the that's the right but, answer uh, in my opinion. But there isn't a, there isn't a right or wrong answer really. But I I I, but, I think the same. <laughs> if I ask you the, the this question, why did, why is that question trying to kind of figure uh, like trying to find out? I don't know. I think the the funny thing about it is there isn't because there isn't really a right or wrong answer. And it, obviously, it's never also okay. going to happen. It just it just brings funny conversation. So. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, yeah, it, it, I, I just probably would run anyways if it's something strange that I I'm not familiar with, and even if it's attacking me, I probably will run. I'm not a very brave person to fight or if, if you're or something. Gonna, if you're gonna run, I I would probably guess you're gonna have a better chance of running away from a giant duck. Although I suppose ducks can run quite quick, absolutely. Even if, even if it's you know six foot tall, but. Hmm. Yeah, but the, the, probably the horses will run faster. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, no, thank, yeah, th thank you for humorous on those. We do find they're funny and interesting. So, um, uh, do you want to kind of shout out your your details for anyone that wants to obviously either find out more about you, get in touch, or you know, kind of wants to work with you or anything? Absolutely. Well, basically, the only place I try to send. Um, all the people that listen to the podcast is to my Instagram, so my social media, um, anti-diet underscore dietitian. Um, and there you can find any other links, uh, linking to other sort of things uh, for my, to my pages on my LinkedIn in, in my Instagram. So that's the best way to you can find me. Sure, brilliant. Well, I will make sure obviously they're linked under the show notes and stuff anyway. So if anyone wants to get in touch, they uh, they obviously can. And we recommend you go through because obviously you do put out some some great content. So if anyone that isn't following, which to be fair, a lot of people might already follow you, so they'll probably already um, already be kind of connected. But for if you don't, that's what you should go do now. Go follow um, go go follow Astrid on Instagram, and then as I say, you'll start benefiting from the the valuable content. So um, that just leads me to say thank you again. Thank you so much for for obviously being so generous with your time. Um, Absolutely. It was a pleasure. Uh, great. Well, I'm sure there'll be another opportunity to come back on if you'd like to, because I really enjoyed it and I'd love to kind of delve into deeper some of that stuff. So um, at another time in the future, I'd 
you know, you're more than welcome to come back on. I'd love that to happen if if you could give up the time again. Yes, of course. Great. Well, thank you so much. Um, and obviously, we'll speak to you again soon. All right. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the No Nonsense Nutrition Podcast. We'll speak to you all next week.